Before we get into um, uh, having Nick Grew come and speak to us, um, he did an outstanding job in the first uh, service, so we are excited about what he's going to share. I would like to pray for our teachers in the room. So if you are a teacher and you're going to work here at Lake Mead, CCSD, one of the charter schools, I realize I think everyone starts school tomorrow, I believe. So if you could stand up because you need our prayer, amen? You need prayer, okay? All right. There's a lot of teachers. We want every teacher to know your church is praying for you, okay? If you're around these teachers, would you just extend a hand toward them? We want them to feel covered in prayer as they stand before children, students, and they and they embody Jesus. And even if they're not in an environment where they're able to be you know, very bold about their faith, their life can be bold, amen? You can live a bold life for Jesus by the way you conduct yourself, the way you live your, live your life and love your students. So let's pray for these teachers. Father, in the name of Jesus, I am asking you to, for a special blessing on these men and women. As they uh, start to a new school year, they are going to be influencing the hearts and minds of this next generation. And this is a very, very serious uh, call. And God, this church is invested in education and in the next generation in a powerful way. So we uh, honor these teachers. We bless them. We pray for them. We ask you, Lord, to fill them, to give them wisdom as they navigate whatever they navigate this year. May they just do so with grace and love. In Jesus' name we pray. And the church says, amen. So I mentioned Nick, and Nick, come on out. Nick is, he's an incredible guy. He's um, a member of our community here. Jean Marie, she was sitting here, but is she here in the service or she no. left? She left, huh? Oh, yes. Oh, okay. Yes. All right. Anyway. <laughs> so Jean Marie is in charge of our VAPA, our fine arts department. And Nick gets voluntold every single year to build sets and to build flooring and all the rest. He does so with, with a happy heart. Um, it's truly a ministry that they both are doing. And uh, they'll do Bible studies with the students that are in the theater department. And he helps lead those with Jean Marie. Just an incredible guy. And as I said, he did a great job last uh, last uh, service. So Nick, love you, bro. All right. Happy birthday. Thank you. All right. Well, hey, good morning, church. I love being a guest speaker because I can come in and do something super controversial, and then it's not my mess to clean up next week. <laughs> no, but in all honesty, I wanted to, I'm really excited about what I'm gonna share today, but it's really important that I, I set up how, how this all came about. If you know me, you know I usually have no lack of something to say. You say like, hey, let's lead a Bible study. I've probably got some ideas like, oh, we could, we could probably do this. And, and, and for coming up with a message, I, there were so many ideas and so many things. Uh, a lot of people know me for my love of apologetics. I'm like, maybe I'll do something on apologetics. But meanwhile, while I'm thinking through this whole process, there, there was a steady stream of activity going on with, with Christians, Christian friends of mine in my life, and more so my older life before I moved here to Nevada. And it all happened like within this one week. One, one day, somebody posts, and they're, they're with their family. They're getting all bright colored and going to a, a drag queen karaoke event. I was like, okay. Next, uh, my, a, a former pastor, a friend of mine uh, from back home, he's fallen away from the faith. They call it deconstructing. You deconstructed your faith. 
But every, every so often on a Sunday, he'll do a, a Sunday sermon. He calls it his Sunday sermon. He puts it on Facebook. But all it is is just poking fun at Christians. And that's kind of sad, right? So now, as I'm thinking through what to talk about, these things are coming. Somebody uh, posted, uh, they said something to the effect of, God is love and never judges. And I thought, God is love? I guess you didn't maybe read the rest of the book. You, you, you didn't see the movie, clearly. All, and there were other things. And I'm not even going to get into all those other things. But they kept hitting me. And I'm thinking, like this verse comes to my mind as Jesus. Jesus asks a question. And I love, I love questions. I think so much of life is, is trying to find answers, for sure. But even more so, it's about learning how to ask the right questions. Jesus was the master of that. Jesus asks this question. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but you don't do what I say? There it is. As that question comes to my mind and I'm thinking, ooh, I could use that. So you know, I got to, all this thing, all this stuff happened on social media. I, I've got to respond to somebody. Now, pro tip, don't ever do that. It, it goes nowhere. So I didn't, by the way, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't respond. But I, I, I was thinking, like, well, maybe I could, like, Jesus has this great question. I can ask a question. And it's like, like, God's tapping me on the shoulder, and I'm looking in the Bible, and it's like I'm looking in a mirror. Like, hey, what about you, buddy? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? Ooh, yeah. It was a little convicting, because, especially because that, that verse strikes at my past. So here's a little bit about my past. I became a Christian at 17. You got so 1997, folks. But I was born in the 70s. I was born in 79, so, you know, so I made it. Don't call me a millennial. <laughs> Millennials are great. Uh, but yeah, so here, here's me, uh, 17 years old. But prior to becoming a Christian, I lived in this world where I was, I was messing around in the new age. And then at the same time, I, I actually... Uh, was getting into occult stuff. Um, I had a book, and that's a story for another day. I actually almost joined a Christian cult. And you could tell at 17, I'm just trying to figure things out. But what, what I found myself doing, I also had a lot of Christian friends. What I found myself doing is I was sitting on the throne in my own heart, and I was taking a little bit from here, taking a little bit from here. It was whatever I decided. You know why? Because I sat on the throne. I was the boss. So I took whatever I liked, and I built kind of like a patchwork quilt of ideas. And then the, my reality either conformed to what I had built or it didn't. But I was in charge. Then I found Jesus. <laughs> and I got off the throne. I put him on the throne. And it was fantastic. But I recognized a few years later, I started doing it again. A few years after becoming a Christian, a few years after 1997, my life was starting to get messy again, and I did some self-reflection and realized I had kicked Jesus off the throne in my heart and gotten back on, and Jesus had just become another patch. I brought the quilt back out. So long story short, I, I figured it out, and <laughs> I let Jesus have the throne again, and I, I, I gave that up. But the reason I bring that up is because I'm watching, I'm watching the activity from, from friends of mine that were solid Christians, and I'm asking myself, 
Are they on the path of falling away? What's going on? What's going on in their life? And I'm looking at what what happened in my life and wondering if that's the same thing. Now, uh, you, some of you may know this. I work for Tesla. I create safety training uh, for Tesla to make sure people don't die. <laughs> and part of my job is to look at new processes and stuff and and to analyze the hazards. What are the hazards that may lead to somebody injuring themselves or um, God forbid, killing themselves, and what kind of safety processes can we set up to prevent that? So to take that and look at what's going on, I thought this would be it would be great to make sure that we can identify the hazards that may lead us to fall away, and then set up safety protocol to prevent that. So we're going to look at that passage, but let me just pray so we can get our hearts right. Lord, thank you so much for this opportunity to share your word and to really just let it speak for itself. Jesus, we thank you that you ask the hard questions and get us thinking. And I pray that today we would be thinking. I pray that we would have an opportunity to examine ourselves and see where we stand and to have an opportunity to ensure that you're on the throne and if you're not, to put you there. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we're going to read the passage. If you have your Bibles, it's in Luke chapter 6. So you can turn, it's just four verses, Luke 6, 46 to 49. So as you turn there, I'll just go ahead and start reading, or you can read here on the screen. Jesus starts out, he's saying, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They're like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock, when a flood came, the torrent struck that house, but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. So we're going to look at this kind of verse by verse we're going to start with, uh, with verse 46, okay? I call this the super ultra convicting question. <laughs> Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Looking at this verse, there's two observations I want to point out. The first observation is, they already call him Lord, Lord. I don't know how many times I read this and never really thought about that. I always looked at this parable as kind of about, there's you know, Jesus is saying, well, there's, there's like my followers are, are building their house on the rock and then the non-followers or like non-Christians are not. And that's, that, that's also true. But here he's saying, he's addressing people that already call him Lord, Lord. He's talking to Christians. He's saying there's two types of Christians. They're both calling me Lord, Lord, but one builds their foundation or they builds their house on the rock and one builds it on sand. So that first, that first observation is really important. Why do you call me Lord, Lord? We have to always be asking the question. Jesus asks Peter. He says, who do they say I am? And then Peter, who do you say I am? We have to be asking ourselves, who do I say Jesus is? Sometimes in the world you hear, well, Jesus was a great prophet. He's a great man. He was a guru he was a great teacher. But who do you say Jesus is? In order to 
really get a grasp on this, we should probably define the word Lord. Okay, so let's go there. I got this. There's a, there's a cool app. You could ask me about it afterwards. I look, up the, I look up the verse, tap it, right? And it, it just gives me, it gives me the verse, and I tap the word Lord, and it defines it. It's cool. It's a really cool app, and it's free. So you want to get this. All right, so here's, here's, your, here's your dictionary uh, lesson for the day. Lord, in Greek, it's, it's kurios, okay? It kind of sounds like curious, but that's, that's, the, that's not the right way to say it. You got to say it like kurios, right? So that will make you sound like an ancient Greek. Here's the definition of Lord. He to whom a person or thing belongs about which he has the power of deciding. That's super important because we get in the habit of saying, of of referring to the title of Lord as a name, and it's not a name. We do, the, we do that with the word God, too. God is not a name. But we, and, and that's common vernacular, we, and it's okay. It's totally fine. But it's important in your mind to not, like, reassociate either God or Lord as, a, as that's his name. It's not. And it'll make, it, it'll, it'll make you think differently about it when it's a title. A title defines the relationship between two people. Lord is a title. That... That definition defines my relationship with Jesus, if he's my Lord or if he's not my Lord. So if we look in in Romans, uh, Paul, Paul brings this up. He says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. That means putting Jesus on the throne. A Lord is one who sits on the throne. In my past, I was sitting on the throne sometimes. I guess that made me the Lord. I was terrible as a Lord. <laughs> but Paul, is, Paul is, 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 is catching the idea that the title is important. Jesus is Lord, okay? So we need to get away from, we need to get away from the idea of Lord as a, as a name. And then right up, right up front, we have Jesus just asking this right away. He's just, why do you call me Lord, Lord? Okay. Or maybe he, it's, we could reword it as, do I sit on the throne in your heart? All right. So now we're back to our, our super convicting question. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Second observation is, of course, that they're not doing what he says. He's basically saying, why do you give me the title, but you just go and do whatever you want? Now, I, I want to make something super clear here, because you might be sitting there going, well, Nick, we all mess up. Like, who, who could be perfect? None of us can be perfect. That's, that's the truth. What he's not talking about are the external mess-ups. He's not, I mean, primarily. Secondarily, yes, sure. But primarily, what he's not talking about is is, is when you're messing up. It's deeper than that, because otherwise the question would just be the second half. Why, why aren't you doing what I say? Why do you call me Lord? Lord, and not do what I say. It's something going on in the heart. Something in your heart is leading to you not doing what I say. Let's think of it like this. Okay, so I, I love to barbecue. I love to cook. And occasionally I'll bake something. One of those things is banana bread. So I, I once, a long time ago, I found this recipe for banana bread. 
And I'm looking at it and I'm like, okay, I'm gonna make banana bread. Now, the first thing I do when I get a recipe for banana bread or desserts, if there's nuts, they're out. <laughs> nuts don't belong in dessert, people. That's gone, okay? And I'm like, all right, well, maybe you call for two bananas, I'm doing four. <laughs> Add a little extra sugar, a little extra cinnamon, and then uh, banana, there's some of them, they don't have chocolate chips. I'm like, nope, we're doing a ton of chocolate chips in this bad boy, okay? I made it my own. Now I look up that recipe, now it's, this is Nick's banana bread, all right? But now let's imagine I'm working in Gordon Ramsay's restaurant, okay? Now I'm in Gordon Ramsay's restaurant, he's the chef, I'm the cook, and I'm, I'm making a meal, but I'm kind of like, ah, no, I'm gonna take out this ingredient. I'm gonna add some of this right here. What's Gordon Ramsay gonna do? Now, I know you, some of you know exactly what he would do, but let's pretend it's a little bit different. This is church, okay? So, Gordon Ramsay comes up to me, he goes, why do you call me chef, chef, but you're getting the recipe wrong? Why do you call me chef, chef, and you're doing your own recipe? Because it's my kitchen now. Now I'm operating in my own authority. Ooh. I can only imagine what Gordon Ramsay's response would be. I probably wouldn't survive it. I've seen him mad, right? But that's the question we need to be thinking about is, am I now starting to operate in my own authority? Is that what Jesus is calling out? When I operate in my own authority, that means I've taken Jesus off the throne and now I sit there. And once again, I get to pick and choose. Like I do with the recipe, am I picking and choosing what I read in the Bible? Am I picking and choosing what Jesus says to do? Okay, now, and here's the thing. When I'm sitting on the throne, it gets messy, okay? When I'm calling the shots, it doesn't work out so well. It turns out Jesus and I don't call the same shots, okay? So someone once told me, they said, uh, they said, Nick, I, I, can't, I can't be a Christian. Christianity, Christianity doesn't work for me. Well, it doesn't work for me either. <laughs> I'm not wired for this. I can't do this. This is why I have to die to self every single day. The Bible says we crucify the flesh because we're not wired for this. Christ doesn't work for me. I work for Christ. That's the way that goes. Okay? So here's the question that we should be thinking about. Next, there we go. Are we really allowing Jesus to be our Lord if we've removed him from the throne in our heart and put ourselves there? That's what we have to be thinking about. From Jesus' super ultra convicting question, we get into the parable that he uses. So Jesus loves to ask questions and just like put it out there and now and, and to cause us to think about it. It's, it's a, a brilliant teaching technique. And then to help support his question, to say, to kind of say, like, I hope you, like, think about it along these terms, he gives a parable. So we're going to, we read the parable, we're going to break it down. First thing to uh, observe is that there's two different types of people. Okay, here's the two verses. As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. Verses, but the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice. So what we need to recognize is that there's two different types of people, but they both hear the words of Jesus. That's really important. 
They're both hearing Jesus, but hearing the words of Jesus, one does them and one does not put them into practice. Now, the one who does not put them into practice, they're either not doing what Jesus says to do, or they are doing what Jesus says not to do. Either way, the second person is out of alignment with Jesus' teaching. Okay? Two types of people. Next, the houses. There's actually uh, one type of house, in my opinion. The house is a symbol of the life that is being built. Okay? Um, sometimes like pictures will show like a really neat-looking house and kind of a shanty house, and that's the one that crumbles away, kind of like you see here. Um, uh, get away from that. Think of, think of the builders as building the same exact type of house. Okay, because it's not about the house. You could have good houses, bad houses, rich houses, poor houses. It's not about the house. It's about what the house sits on. So he's talking about two different types of foundations. One foundation is the solid rock, and the other is the sinking sand. Okay, that comes from the song. The, the parable itself says there's, it says there's no foundation, but there's a song that says, in Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. I hear some of you whispering it. You know the song. So I thought, all right, I don't know how ancient architecture works. <laughs> I don't know how building and foundations work back in you know, 2,000 years ago. So let's try to modernize this a little bit. And, and this is conveniently crazy. So one month ago to the day, my family and I, we were, we were on a road trip, and we were coming down the California coast, and we come to the Golden Gate Bridge. Uh, there we are. <laughs> so in order, you so see, you go down through Sausalito, and then you cross the bridge and go into San Francisco. So I thought, okay, well, why don't we use the bridge as our, as our, uh, our structure, our symbol? So there's the bridge here. I've got some fun facts I think that are kind of, kind of cool. So the bridge itself, the Golden Gate Bridge was built between 1933 and 1937. The whole span is 1.7 miles it weighs 894,000 tons. And check this out. One, two. There's only two towers in the water. That's crazy to me. You see bridges, and they usually have a bunch of feet in the water, right? A bunch of legs in the water. But the Golden Gate Bridge just has two. And that span is almost an entire mile between the two towers there. Now, why did they do that? Why didn't they add more support? I mean, aren't, aren't you kind of worried? I mean, it hasn't collapsed in almost 100 years, so we, we know we're good at this point. But, I mean, this was a marvel of the day. So the reason they built how they built is because, we'll go to the next slide, this is as sciencey as we're going to get, okay? But this is a topography map, and you could see how the land is formed. They put one tower on the solid rock there. They put another tower on the solid rock there. In here, you can see how deep it gets. This sand all shifts. The ground changes. It's not stable. They couldn't put a tower there. It wouldn't hold up. That's why they did it. They had to build on the rock. So I'm going to leave that there. I'm going to come back to it. But I want you to think, I want you to think about Jesus' parable. So he's, he's talking about there's two builders. They each build a house, two different foundations. But the time of testing only happens when the flood comes. Prior to the flood, the two houses look the same. You can't tell what's going to happen. It's when the storm hits, it's when the flood hits that the true time of testing begins. 
and one house stands and the other collapses. The Golden Gate Bridge in 1935, about midpoint through building, an earthquake hit. If you're from the Bay, you know the earthquake is just like, oh, is it three o'clock already? So an earthquake hit, and there were actually guys working on the tower. They said it swayed 16 feet one way and then 16 feet the other way, and it just kept going until the earthquake stopped, until the thing stabilized. But here's the thing. The tower wavered, but it did not collapse because it was on the solid ground. That probably would have been my last day at work, by the way. I'm out. Take my paycheck. Goodbye. <laughs> I'm going to build a bridge somewhere else. Oh, man. So what are the floods that test us? What tests what foundation we're on? I wrote down a few. Could be financial difficulty. That can really test us. Health, health issues, loss of property, relationships, failures. These are all going to hit all of us. We all hit this. And like, the, like on the tower, we may waver. And that's fine. Life strikes sometimes. But the difference between total collapse and wavering and then restabilizing is whether you've built on the rock or on the sand. That's the point of Jesus' parable. So you have to ask yourself, well, Am I the type of person that will collapse, or will I waver? Now, with that in mind, now that we've kind of unpacked how this parable works, I want to get back to our first question. Our initial question was, how is it that solid Christians can fall away? How is it that solid Christians can deconstruct? Christians who have built their life here or here on the solid rock, I get it why if you've built your house on sand entirely and you fall away, that, I get it. But if you've built your life on the solid rock already, how is it that people are falling away? So I, I was like, all right, I'm going to look through the Bible I'm, and, and I'm going to try to find somebody, a character or somebody that, that is a solid person that, that fell away and kind of see if I can analyze that. I'm surely, that's, we, we know this, that's happened a few times. I got about two pages in. Adam and Eve. It was perfect, right? I'm like, got one. <laughs> it's like when you're fishing, you like throw it in, you catch a fish right away. You're like, well, I guess this is going to be a short day. So uh, right here in Genesis, and, and this passage is great because not only do we see two people compromise, but we see the playbook of the devil. We get to see exactly what he did. So let's read this. This is in Genesis 3. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there or you can read it on the screen. It says, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, well, we may eat from any of the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. Oh, you will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, here's the thing. This is, this is we just saw the devil's three-step program for compromise, right? It's just bam, bam, bam. So let's, let's just look at how this works, okay? Step one, here's the recipe for compromise. Step one, seeding doubt. The devil says, 
Did God really say that? Are you sure that's what it means? He's just going to get you to maybe start to question it a little bit. Ooh, maybe, maybe that's not quite right. Now, Eve actually is like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's what he said. Yeah, that's what he said. So he moves on. But he still planted a doubt. Next, he delivers lies. He says, you will not surely die, for God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. You know, sometimes, modern times, you hear people talk about, oh, my eyes have been opened, or, oh, I'm seeking illumination. I, that always worries me, because that's, that's exactly what the devil said. <laughs> oh, your eyes are going to be opened if you eat that fruit. He's saying, well, you know, what God said isn't true. He's, God's lying to you. <laughs> Actually, it was the devil that was lying. And he goes, but th- here's the thing. He goes, I have the truth. And that's what Satan wants us to do. That's what Satan wants to do. He wants to exchange the truth of God for the lies of the world. In Romans, it says, professing to be wise, they became fools. They exchanged the truth of God for lies. Okay. And then the third step, the devil promises a reward. And I think that's key, right? We usually don't just want to fall into sin unless there's something good about it. The devil promises reward. He says, you will be like God, or as some translators have translated it, you will be like God's. Hey, you do this thing, there's a reward for you. You're going to get something out of it. So I, try, I wanted to make this relevant to us today. How do we see this play out today in our culture? So I wrote down some, I wrote down some things like this. Did God really say, forgive your adversaries? Or should you tear them down through gossip and game playing? Did God really say, show gentleness and love with people who think differently? Or should we beat them up with Bible verses? Did God really say marriage is between one man and one woman? Or is that outdated and culturally irrelevant? Did God really say, snatch people away from sin? Or should we love them by letting them live their truth? Did God really say such and such? Or is, it, is that okay as long as nobody gets hurt? And here's the reward for all these cultural, cultural issues. You become more popular. You're going to be tolerant if you believe this way. You'll be considered loving. You'll be relevant. You'll be cool. That's the reward. Seed the doubt, deliver the lies, and promise a reward. Are you going to fall for it? That's the question. So let's put up the, uh, the topography picture again. Now, one thing to think about, too, is when people have fallen away, they usually don't fall away to something less popular, by the way, <laughs> thinking about the rewards. They usually fall into something that is culturally more popular. They're going to earn street cred. For, for, doing, for falling away the way they fall away. Like people, Christians aren't falling away and then becoming Amish, right? Or, or like Satanists or something. They're doing something that's going to like make them look good to people. Uh, all right, so going back to our, our topography map here, where the compromise happens is right here in the shifting, sinking 
ever-changing sand. That is where the compromise happens. That's where the devil's lies live. So what I want you to think about is, if this is your life, what happens? If you put a tower in the middle, you believe something, take on a, a lie of the devil, you put a tower in the middle, and it's going to shift. Culture shifts. You ever feel like you just can't keep up? You go, man, man today's problems, I, I'm still dealing with like three years ago's problems. You put a tower in the middle, while you still got a tower on the solid ground, the tower's going to begin to shift with the changing sand, and it's going to start to put a strain on your rock foundation. You put another tower, you believe something else, follow the culture a different way. As wherever it's contrary to Scripture, wherever it's contrary to the words of Jesus, you put another tower, another tower, another tower, cracks in the foundation. Every compromise puts a, a crack in the foundation and begins to shift you away from that solid rock until utter ruin. That's why we need to be aware of where we are. We cannot have a foot in two worlds. This is why Jesus asked the question, because this is a challenge for us. This is hard. All of us struggle with what's going on and what to believe and the challenges and temptations. All of us struggle with that. Jesus asked the question because he wants us to think about it. He doesn't want us to collapse. He wants us to examine our life and see, are we putting cracks in the foundation with what I'm doing in my life? What are my compromises? And here's, here's the real thing. When you're compromising your foundation, you don't even know it. Let's put up the next picture. This is a sinkhole. Let me just read you the description of a sinkhole. Sinkhole is something that slowly erodes the foundation underneath the surface until one day enough outside pressure causes it to collapse. You think these people knew that was happening underneath the surface? No way. A sinkhole always catches someone by surprise, but guess what? It had been building and building and building for a long time until just enough external pressure caused the collapse. We have to be asking ourselves, is a sinkhole developing underneath the surface? Because you won't know it until it collapses, but you can begin to examine yourself and see if maybe it is happening. Now, in a minute, we're going to listen to a song. And I want to invite you to, I put lyrics on the song, uh, on, the, on the video, so that you can sing along. It does work like a worship song. But I, wanna, I want this to be a moment where you can examine yourself and really think about yourself and what's going on in your life. Pray in the privacy of your heart. Pray with your neighbor. But let this be a moment of examination. And while the song's playing, before we start it, I want you to think about these three questions. Am I aware of what is happening below the surface in my life? Next, is Jesus on the throne or am I calling the shots? And the third question, do I have a foot in both worlds? And if so, do I feel the strain of collapse quickly approaching? Once the song's done, I'll come back out and, uh, and close this up.
the same Soaring on the wings of selfish pride Flew too high Like Icarus I collide With a world I've tried so hard To leave behind To rid myself of all but love To give and die Turn away and not become Another nail to pierce the skin of one who loved More deeply than the oceans More abundant than the tears of a world and Facing every heartache Can I be the one to sacrifice Or cripple the spear and watch Blood and water flow Take my beauty, take my tears 
I love that song. I especially love how it ends. Take my world apart because it's worlds apart. Sometimes I know I've struggled with that. What world am I living in? Have I taken Jesus off the throne? And I want to tell you that Jesus asked the question because it's supposed to be convicting. It's supposed to bring things to light. It's supposed to expose the cracks. But there's good news. The good news is when you put your life on the solid rock, when you build on that foundation, you can repair those cracks. You can prevent the sinkhole. That's what's great. We're not really bridges. (laughs) We're not really houses. We're people. And it's much bigger and it's much greater with Jesus. He's the architect who can make those repairs when we come to him and we make sure that he is 100% on the throne. So there's three questions that are the takeaways for the day that you should be thinking about. Number one, are you putting yourself in a position to encounter Jesus in the word? In order to know and hear the words of Jesus, you have to come to Jesus. You're gonna find those in the Bible. Next, what is the greatest shaping force in your life? Is it the Bible? Is it church? Is it the community? Is it social media? Be honest with yourself and ask the question, what's the greatest shaping force in your life? And finally, how would you answer Jesus' question? If he came to you right now and said, why do you call me Lord, Lord? Jesus is doing whatever you want. How would you, ask, how would you answer that question? It's a good question. And every day, every moment that we think about these things is a moment to turn it around if we feel like we're heading in the wrong direction. So I want to give you a few tips that you can use to to help stay on track. Okay, number one is to practice daily devotions. That's critical. When you practice daily devotions, you're praying, you're encountering Jesus, and you're reading the Bible. The Bible is like a light that exposes darkness. If you've picked up some bad darkness, some untruth in the world, the Bible will surely expose that. They say that uh, reading the word is acquiring knowledge, but doing the word is wisdom. Wisdom can be defined as the proper application of knowledge. Think of it like this. Knowledge is knowing that tomatoes are fruit 
Wisdom is knowing that they don't belong in a fruit salad. Okay? Join a life group. You can't do life by yourself. You can't do this. The devil wants to pull you away from the pack. And that, like, if you ever watch Animal Planet, that's what the lion does, pulls him away from the, from the pack. Find a pack. Find a life group. It's not as, it, what's great about, it's not just about sitting down and reading the Bible together. It's about praying together. It's about living life together. It's about sharing and venting and having a community to support you, someone to cry with, someone to celebrate with. Life groups are critical. I couldn't imagine my life without a life group. I'm in two. <laughs> ask, ask questions. Doubt, remember, remember the devil's first trick is to see doubt. Hey, if you have doubts, it's okay. When people come to me with doubts, that is something they're wrestling with, it tells me they care. It bugs them. I like that. I like that it, that it bugs you because it tells me you care. When you're wrestling with a doubt, though, it's important that you approach someone and express it. There's people that want to help answer your questions. Take a class. There's going to be lots of classes coming up this fall. I'm going to be teaching a class um, called How to, Read the, uh, How, to, How to Study the Bible. I haven't named it yet, but working title, How to, How to Study the Bible. And then finally, there's lots of good books and podcasts. There's lots of bad ones too, so, you know. But the point is, get this into your mind, right? Continue learning. I want to close with the words of a song that was written in the 1800s. A lot of you probably know it, but it was based on this passage that we read today. It goes like this. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. In Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. When darkness seems to hide his face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. The prayer team can come on up. We'll have a time of prayer after this. I'm going to go ahead and let Brad have the final word here. Thank you, Nick.